Hey, it's Louis Max for Grind and Pivot. Hope you're all well in these challenging times. I recently had a great conversation with Joe Scolo, legendary Long Island musician and founding member of the band Full House. Joe has been a mainstay of the Long Island, New York music scene since the late 70s and is still rocking it out. He has some great stories and I think you will find out what he has to say interesting on both a musical and personal level. Enjoy. Peace. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. What up, son? What up? Grind and pivot. Today we have an unknown legend, straight out of Long Island, New York, one of my favorite guys, Joe Scolo. How you doing, my brother? I'm doing all right. I'm a legend in my own mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, how are you making out in the, the coronavirus times, the challenging times that we have today? Um, not, not bad, Mr. Max. I'm... Uh... You know, I'm getting by with, with practicing my guitar a lot because I have not much else to do and learning songs and doing those uh, Facebook live sessions. Yeah, I love I'm them. I'm sure we're going to get into. And, Absolutely. And um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm running at least five times a week to keep my blood flowing and my, my head clear. clear. Clear as my head will get. Yeah, that's true. At this point. <laughs> At this point, and, yeah, uh, that's for sure. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with it, you know, better than I thought I would. Okay, that's good to know, because I will definitely be asking you about that. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to go back to, like, the late 70s when you actually started the band. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about, like, what the music scene was like. Do you remember vividly what that Long Island scene was like when you started? I remember vividly. Before. Before Full House, I played in my first bands, I guess, when I was, I guess it was 1972. I had my first band, and the beginning of the band was me on guitar and vocal with my little uh, K guitar, I think it was, and K amp that my parents got at probably J.C. Penney's. And uh, it was me and a drummer, Joe Galliotto. You might have heard the name before. I, I lived on 4th Street and 11th Avenue, and he lived on 6th Street, uh, like three or four houses from 11th Avenue. And that was our band. It was a duo, guitar, me singing, you know, as well as I could back then, and Joe on drums. How old, actually, how old were you? I was uh, uh, 13 or 14 years old. Gotcha. When gotcha. I started that, that duo. <laughs> when, okay, so uh, I'm trying to think, you know, I remember, I think I first met you, or no, I'm sorry, I first heard of you or watched you or saw you in like, let's say seven, let's call it 79 or 78, okay. 79. Well, Full House already had been around for two, two, two or three years by that. Correct, correct. All right, so two when or three years. We started um, just going back to the origins of the band is I answered an ad in Good Times Magazine, which I know you know. Oh, absolutely. For, um, a, a, I don't remember the exact wording of the air, but it was a, a bass, bass player and drama looking for a guitarist and a keyboard player who sang to form a band that did uh, a lot of 60s music. Um, you know, this, this was 1976, the, the winter of 76. And, uh, 
and also disco, which was new at the time. And I had just, I had just quit a disco band, actually a popular band called the Rhythm Jesters. Your, mo- your room is spinning, Mr. Max. I know what it is. Are? I'm trying to make sure that something uh, is, is <laughs> off. Go ahead. You feeling um, all right now? So anyway, I, I was in a, a band called the Rhythm Jesters for three months, for September of 76 uh, into November of 76. And, uh, and then I decided that, uh, you know, too much disco was not going to be good for me. But it was a good learning lesson. Now you're upside down. I know. Oh, there you go. Um, but anyway, I answered that ad, and I went to the uh, the audition, which actually turned into a rehearsal. Played a couple of songs that I was uh, that I knew at that time that had come out in '76. Uh, I remember Sarah Smile and uh, "You Are the Woman" by Firefall. That's right, great song with a great with a with a great, great flute solo. solo, great flute great vocals, solo, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. I still remember the solo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I forget, you know, other songs were out at that time. Uh, Heaven Must Be Missing an Angel by Tavares. And, One of my favorites. And the Boz Gags album, Silk Degrees, was low out. Down, so. Oh, Low Down. Low Down. Uh, uh, it's, all right. o- it's over. And, it's uh, over, right. And, uh, well, you know, uh, very popular. But anyway, so went to that audition with, with uh, this guy, Brad Lent, who is uh, our fir- Full House's first keyboard player, God rest his soul. Um and um, he had auditioned for the Rhythm Jesters with me, too, but he didn't get the audition. So then he, um, uh, they needed a keyboard player, so I remembered him, and, and he, uh, he came to the audition with me, and we auditioned, and we, we played you know, a couple of disco songs and pop songs of the day, and then all of a sudden I went into a Beatles song, and then the whole rest of that audition slash rehearsal became Beatles songs. It turns out the bass player, not so much the drummer, but the bass player was a big Beatles fanatic. So that kind of cemented, uh, that That was the uh, cementing of the, the origins of Full House. And Bob Soley was the, the the bass player I'm talking about, bass player vocalist, who is now the bass player and has been the bass player in Street Fighter, the Stones tribute band for, uh, I don't know, 18 years now. Wow. Yeah. He was with Full House for the first, I believe, six years. Right. That's a that's a that's a. Is that that's enough really information amazing. for you for now? I think so. I think that's pretty good. So, well, did you guys play well, out? Well, I, I, I just want to throw in one little aside here too, which you'll Please. appreciate. Is <clears throat> I was coming from that rhythm jester's audition in um, in September when I auditioned for the band, and um, I got a ride home from the guy I didn't yet know was Brad Lent who was yet to find out that I made the audition and he hadn't. But anyway, he lived in North Babylon. I lived in West Babylon. So he drove me home. I forgot how I got there. And on the way home, he goes, Joe, you ever hear this before? This was, this was how to be September of 76. And I'm like, what? And he puts on 10th Avenue freeze out. Oh my God. And really? I'm like, I go, well, what's this about? And I was not knocked out. But that's kind of like crazy. I always remember that, and it, that was my introduction into Springsteen. Oh my God, that's a yeah. that that's a great. I love that. That's a, gr- a great story. A good story. first song to be introduced onto, but I wasn't quite ready for it at that point. Yeah, know? I could. Un- I could being, totally being understand. used to like you know the Beatles and and the finely tuned harmonies. You know, I wasn't I wasn't quite ready for that voice yet, but I knew subconsciously that it was great. So anyway. 
That's I love it. Sounds, sounds good. Now, did you guys end up when you got that? You got into the band. Did you guys end up playing out? With with when, Full House when you, or, or with the Rhythm Justice? Rhythm Justice. Like they owned the club in Bayshore called Jester Street. Oh, that's right. Okay, I, right. I, you know, they played other places, but I wasn't in the band long enough to like quote unquote go on the road of the of the Long Island discos with them. Right. I, right. I, I left because I, I mean I learned a lot. And I brought a lot to the band, but I, I I wanted to play rock too. So yeah, yeah. Who were yeah. um who were some of the other bands back then? Like STP and Company, Super uh, Suds. SP4, right. SP4 was a band back then. Um, a lot of di- disco bands. Uh, Morningside Drive was another band. Ichabod Crane. Ichabod Crane, I remember. Jim yeah, Cherry, well, I think, was in Crane, that band. I forget the guy's name, but I took his place in the Rhythm Jesters. I, ah, yeah. I remember being very intimidated because he was a great guitar player. Right. And I assume he still is. I can't think of his name. I think he was from Massapequa or Seaford. Right. I wish I remembered. But um, yeah, those were some of the bands. As far as rock bands, there was uh, a local band around here from Lindenhurst called Tunbridge Wells who did all the progressive rock, you know, Yes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then there was, well, my senior year in high school, 1975, I went to UB's OTJs on Sunrise Highway. I remember it in Bayshore. I remember it. I was hearing the the uh, ads on BAB for for this band, Rat Race Choir. Oh, yeah, there you and go. And they were okay. going with their quadraphonic sound system, Rat Race Choir. And I went to see them, and that, I, I was blown. I was blown away. They they opened up. I'm sitting there. Club looked so big to me then. Yeah. Now it's called Misner Auto Body. And I passed it by. I'm like, that's what I thought was so big. Yeah. But I remember being there and waiting for them to go on. And they come on and you know, one, two, three, four. Da-da-da. Da-da-da. Zep. Da-da-da. Oh, my God. They go really? to Kashmir. I think the album Physical Graffiti had just been out for maybe a week. And from, from that point on, that was kind of like, I didn't know it at the time, but, but formed a lot of my... Uh, musical inspiration for Full House and what we did. You know, they did Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding, and Why the Shade of Pale, and Jethro Tull, and all that. So I, I subconsciously took a lot from them. Oh, crap, my phone is on here. I'm yeah, Card- Cardinal Center Podcast, no Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. No phones. I'm t- yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't worry about it. It's not Rick Morgan calling, is it? No, but he just emailed me, to be honest with you. Are you serious? Yep. No. Yeah. All right, we'll get to that again. Okay, we'll get, okay, we'll so, get to that. Um, That's a classic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so those, yeah, so around 75, those bands were really stuck, were, were still cooking. I got gotcha. you. Um, how did you come up with the name Full House? Um, not the way that people originally thought we did. I, 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 I don't know exactly where I was, but... um. I was thinking more in terms of, you know, a packed club, Full House. And, and of course, the, the, our first, you know, groupies, you know, brought us a sign. We used to play. One of our first steady gigs was at the Ramsden at Farmingdale College. And, and these girls, these three girls came and they bought a sign and they were so proud. And it was playing cards, you know, a Full House. And I was like, hmm, that's, that's great, you know. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, I thought I thought it was originally. I I actually thought it was um, uh, Jay Giles. 
No. no I, I knew I knew it wasn't. More, but... I would have been more of the playing card uh, motif. But uh, no, it was, you know, and I guess at that point, we hadn't filled any clubs, but I guess it was an aspirational, uh, you know, name. And I guess, you know, it's been a good name for, you know, a band playing clubs and stuff like that. Had yeah, oh, ever, no, absolutely. Ever, it's, ever it, since it, 19, late 76, early 77, that's been the name of the band. Yeah, it's withstood the test of time. There's no doubt about it. Nope. Uh, 40 years? I mean, what the hell, man? 40 <laughs> The house has not fallen yet. <laughs> it's it's really, really, really amazing. Yeah. So 40 years, that's, that's, I don't even know what happened to those 40 well, years. Well, 77 would be 43 years now, right? Yeah, 43. That's right. <laughs> uh, what was your plan back then? Uh, plan, my first plan was, well, you know this, my first plan was to get girls. Okay, that was the. I'm glad you you said that. Absolutely. Yeah, but re- I mean, yeah. like like most musicians, and if they don't say that, then they're probably lying. They're full of shit. Yeah, no doubt about or, it. Or they're a jazz musician. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So then, taking it from that, then what was the next step? I mean, was it money? Was um, did you? Yeah, it it was money. It, it, it was also yeah. Okay. Well, here's a way. Here's a way not to have to work a regular job, which I knew I would never be able to do steadily. And and always in my head was was an interview with John Lennon where they interviewed him and, you know, asking him the same question you're asking me now. And he, he went to uh, see an Elvis movie, I guess the first movie, Love Me Tender, and he goes, and he points to himself and he goes, now that's a good job. And that's basically, <laughs> basically it. And then, yeah, to, you know, to make money, avoid having to do a regular job, and then... It was to do no matter what genre of music that we were doing to try and emulate it as faithfully to the original as, you know, as I could and as my band could while not being sounding or feeling robotic about it. Interesting. Any any want or desire for fame? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I I never really had the... The drive, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, to, you know, isolate myself and write. I've done it at times, but but I kind of knew that doing what we did, covering diverse genres and artists, was something that I was kind of naturally good at. Right, so that was a strength of yours. Voices, and, and like I said, be, be able to do it but not come off robot to make it authentic and believable where people don't go, ah, he just sounds like a, like, you know, exactly like the record, like a robot. You know? No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that, and you definitely accomplished that in a big way, but go back for a second. I want to strip the onion a little bit. Um, uh, you, you wrote some stuff back then, right? Yep. You were writing, you were always writing, right? We actually, we actually just posted, um, um, a video up on on uh, Facebook uh, last week of a song I wrote, and I I listened to it, and it, we we were performing it at Mulcahy's called uh, "It's Just a Matter of Time," mm-hmm. and Angus, you know, the, my bass player for eighteen years, of course, has been posting one full house song a day from these old um, videos that that we had 
switched over to DVD. I send them the files of our uh, our wedding and corporate promos and some of the club shows that we did. And we post up one song a day. And last week, we posted up the original. It's just a matter of time. And I listened to it and I went, wow, that's not a bad song. If I put as much time into that as I did into covering other people's material, probably could have been a hit. Exactly. So, but you never, did you ever really dwell on that or not really? At, at periods, yeah, but I haven't in a while, to be honest with you, Lou. I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm settling to the fact that, that, you know, what we do and what I do is, you know, covering other artists and, and being able to, you know, pull it off authentically and have not only the audience, but myself not feel like I'm being a robot. Yeah, absolutely. And and, that, and you definitely accomplished that, like I said. So what was your process? You started the band, you got your band, it's full house. You're rehearsing, are you rehearsing in the basement of the house? Or are you well, going um, to rehearsal studios? Well, my band's before full house, it was, I didn't have a basement. We had a high ranch, so we used to practice in the den of the house. And then in the garage, we have, you know, one of those two-car garage, you know, high ranch have. And then in Joe Galliotto, the first drummer, in his basement, which his basement was like also his living room kitchen. So we used to rehearse down there, and in the summer we used to rehearse in his garage. Then with Full House, the um, first place we rehearsed was at uh, the drummer who was with Bob Soley at that audition I told you about in, in Massapequa Park. We used to rehearse in his... Uh, I guess it was a den, den slash studio then. And we used to rehearse there. And then when, when Keith joined the band in the early 80s, we would rehearse in his studio and then in his living room and then in his garage. And, you know, then we started using studios and different people's houses and, you know, whatever was available. Right. So what was your process, um, let's see, musically? Because I know that you were definitely a stickler for certain things mm -hmm. coming from your players. Yep. Uh, can you take us through what the they process... Would say not a stickler, but a pain in the ass. Okay, pain in the ass, stickler, <laughs> same thing, I know that. But what really did you really, as the leader, what did you really stress to those guys that were in the band and... Not only that, that's part one. Part two is, you know, how did you really get it out of them? Um, well, I, I didn't really have to, like, the guys that I played with, I didn't have to try and get it out of them. I knew from the first time that we played together, for instance, with, with Bob Soley, the, the bass player, who we were essentially partners, you know, leaders of the band for the first six years of the band. And like I said, when we did started doing Beatles songs and it clicked. I didn't even analyze. I was just like, yeah, he, this guy gets it, you know, subliminally. And pretty much all the players, not all, but most of the players I've had in the band were in the band because I sensed that same thing. And then if I told them, okay, you know, learn your, learn your part, your instrumental part, this is the vocal part you'll be singing, but then I would learn all the vocal parts and take it apart at rehearsal. Okay, no, you're, you're singing that kind of right, but you know, this note has to be here. You gotta sustain this longer. You gotta pull back here, you know, to get the right dynamics. And 
we would work out the harmonies at rehearsal. So you really did your pretty, due pretty diligence. Much everybody learned their instrument part right. And if they didn't, then I, I you know. You remodeled. I would be pissed, and, you know. But I, I really, with most of the people in the band, not all, they got it. And, you know, they came to rehearsal ready to go. Gotcha. What about how the band looked? Early on, I remember because I want to say, let me see. I remember <laughs> Tabard. I remember that later our, on, but that I, was our jock, our jock phase, Tabard. Yeah, because I saw you we also. Like, I saw you in the early eighties at right? Malibu. Yep, Capizios. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe Capizios, but not even that. Not not what was it? But in terms of, was it an issue? Did you discuss it? Did you talk about it? Were you guys on the same page? Um, Were you? Like I said, in the beginning, in that, you know, 77, 78, 79, we had more of a, a you know, a, a jock look, I call it. We had a guy who managed a band, this guy, Joe Ward, and he got us like, a, you know, baseball jackets with the Full House logo on the back. Right, the satin jackets, right? Yeah. 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 And then, uh, you know, and then we had uh, carpenter pants and... You know, like softball type shirts. And then I got kind of, you know, sick of that. You know, I want I wanted to have more of a rock look, you know. So then that kind of like we in, in the early 80s with the new wave, you know, turned into the parachute pants and the capizios. Still wasn't comfortable with that. And then, you know, we turned into a, you know, black jeans, sneakers, boots, you know, more more of a rock. Yeah, rocker, petty, you know, yeah. just and, yeah, and straight up like, rocker. From like the, I'm going to say the early to mid 80s, I always would wear like, you know, button down shirts, colorful, you know, like. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm looking back at some of these videos that I used to post. I'm like, you know what? People, some people made fun of me back then for wearing their shirts, but I'm like, I'm glad that I wore them. You right. And, and you stand the black jeans and the boots, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Exactly, right, right. So, I, yeah, I, I do remember that. So when, I'm just trying to go for a timeline, because uh, I saw you guys, I thought at Malibu, but when did the band take its first step up the ladder with um, players and, and also just some, you know, recognition, would you well, say? Well, to me... Of the first step up was in the early '80s when when Keith joined the band, Keith Hill, you, you know Keith, and my drummer, who was my second drummer, guys called Mike Farantino, who's the one who designed the logo, the Full House ah. roof logo, and it was me and Keith and um, Mike Farantino on drums, great drummer, and he sang the high the high parts, the vocals. And he took the place of Joe Galliotto, my first drummer. And, and, and actually, Mike used to pass by my garage. He lived down the block on, on, on Fourth Street when we rehearse. Ah. One day he comes by on his bike and goes, Hey, Scolo, you mind if I come up and play a couple of songs? Well, play a song. And, he, and Joe, the drummer, great guy, but he, he didn't sing. He's like, yeah, I guess, you know. And Mike came up and we did... Uh, we did Derek and the Dominoes, Why Does Love Got to Be So Sad? And we get to the chorus, and he starts singing the harmony, 
And right then, you know, I saw a deflated look on Joe's face, which I felt really bad about. And I just said to myself, this is, this is right. And, and Mike still to this day does gigs with us sometimes. And he's, he's a mechanic for like 35 years in upstate. He did three shows with us last summer with no rehearsal. I just told him, Hey Mike, learn these songs. And it was like, we, we never had not played together before. Wow. Yeah, I do. I, well, that turns out to be uh, your formula yeah, for the drama. That, that, for the drama. At that point, was me, Keith, Mike, and and Bob Soli, the original bass player. That, you know, the core of the band has always been that. Um, you know, right. Elfon guitar, vocal, bass, vocal, drum, vocal, um, and what's the other instrument? And and keyboard, vocal. Yeah, okay, yeah, and those high parts were always designated really yeah, exactly. for the From drummer. That point on, the for the next, drummer, on any drummer we had had to fill that. And, and the next drummer of note, Chris, and keyboard, uh, Chris Camilleri. Okay, that's what I remember. Uh, um, you know, he just just an amazing, amazing musician, and he joined around the same time as Keith's brother because Keith left for a short period there to join uh, Tara, which was an offshoot of Vixen. And Drew's, Drew's brother, uh, Keith's brother, Drew, came in, and he's another one, an excellent singer, excellent keyboard player. Tremendous. Some guitar and, and a great songwriter, too. So for a while, it was, it was that lineup with, with me, and, um, me and Drew and Chris. And who was on bass at that point? I think, I think Bob, Bob was in the band for a while, but then we had some other bass players before Angus, who joined in, I believe, 86 or 87 and was with, with Full House for about 18 years. Right. So 86, 87. So, as yeah. a, so, go, so to go back at my original question, when did you guys... Oh, Angus, Angus was a bass player for a period with me, Chris, and Drew, too. Okay, yeah. good. So when did you guys take that step up the proverbial ladder in the scene? You mean to be a cool band? Oh, you guys were cool? Well, we, yeah, at one point we were. Okay. Yeah, maybe. You know, I, I, I was, you know, we were playing like Tabernacle House, like all the, 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 you know, the water sports motif, uh, motif type places like Solomon Grundy's and OBI, you know, which I always, like great venues, but, uh, you know, very like, always like jock associated, which is nothing wrong with them, you know. No, not at all. Not at all. Baseball fan, sports fan. Um, and um, I just lost my track of thought there. Get me, get me back on, Max. The proverbial oh, oh, jock the, bars. The, the step, yeah. When Angus joined the band, and then a year or two later, when Charlie talked about drummers who could sing and play. Yeah, that's a separate uh, issue. We know that. Yeah. When he uh, joined uh, the rest band, in peace. Rest in peace, Charlie. When, that was like 88, 89. Right. That's when we, in, in my opinion, we really started laying into like the progressive, you know, Boston and Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and, you know, uh, Queen and stuff like that. To me, that was that was really the point where it was me, Charlie, Angus and Keith. Keith had joined the band a few years before that rejoined the band. And for from like late 88 until... Uh, into 97, you know, that's when was our, in a lot of people's opinion, like our coolest peak period. 
I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree on that because I I met you back again really in uh 87 88 when Corner Boys kind of started. Now, yeah. yeah. What I'm saying now, so for, so let's get off musically for a second. Let's talk about the scene. Yeah. Because the scene was always a little different because of the smaller like bars, almost like, let's say, like when in Jersey, the Jersey Shore had the Springsteen, Beaver Brown up in Rhode yeah. Island, you know, all that stuff. Those bands were paying. But then there were also Speaks, Happy yeah. Days, Detroit. What did yeah. you, what was your take See, on? Those places, we played some of those, but I know what, you, what you're getting at. That was like, I considered like the Rat Race Choir, um, um, zebra Esther, zebra type rooms and we would be like even when we were doing the progressive you know the more progressive music same progressive but you know the harder rock the deep purple zeppelin boston queen we still always did the lighter fun 60s stuff usually our first set was concentrated on the let's show them what we can do and then the second set was you know, a dance fun set and then we were doing three sets back then the last set was a mix like any anything goes so yeah we played we never played detroit but we played you know hammerheads and and we actually opened up for the ramones at ham and hammerheads um what were some of the other places you mentioned um speaks we, we played all those places we just weren't a you know but plus the fact that we weren't really doing originals we weren't steadies at places like that, but we played them and we did well there, but you know, right. so happened. it really wasn't, so it was really a question of really wasn't your market. We were only, we were only cool for one and a half sets, the first set. And then the, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. really, it really wasn't your market per se. You were in a niche. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you had to milk, you had to milk the other niche, which, yeah, I'm not saying bad or good. I just wanted to know, did you ever... Do you have, have, have aspirations? Did you think that those guys were like, quote unquote, bigger, better, um, something? Well, I, st I still think that Rat Race Quiet was, as far as, you know, club band is, I, I didn't, to be honest with you, I, I never really followed Twisted Sister. We, we were playing, you know, every night and, and that wasn't really my thing. No, I know that. Rat Race Choir, I mean. Stanton. And their peak, Stan Anderson, another one. But Rat Race Choir, I knew that that we couldn't really touch musically, you know. And but it didn't bother me because we had things about us that they couldn't do. They, they you know, like bands like Rat Race Choir or Twisted or uh, Stanton. Well, Stanton was more of a rhythm and blues, you know, southern rock. But couldn't really play the places that we played. All the OBIs and all the Solomon Grundys and Rum Runner and Dublin Pub. We we could play all those types of rooms because of, you know, what we did and what we were. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent, but I, I, I kind of wanted to really know how you felt about it, you know, personally. And, and no, you, and you, and you did tell no, me. I, 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 I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, there might've been a period there where, where it bothered me, but, but then it didn't, you know, we, we had enough varied amount of rooms and, you know, the places out in the Hamptons, up to Beach Club and up at Hunter Mountain and Hunter Village Inn and Slopes and uh, in Killington, Vermont, the Pickle Bar and Wobbly Barn. Like, you know, those are rooms, for instance, that a, a rat race choir or a band or a zebra like that really 
couldn't play. They probably wouldn't want to. They, you know. No, they definitely not. Definitely not. They definitely couldn't. But but I'm I'm totally comfortable with it. Yeah. Who is um, who is your main competition back then? You think? Um, I would say, uh, probably. Well, we were more of a variety, but there was the band The Trend who did a lot of R and B and Motown, which you know, we would, you know, I would, I would, I guess that would be competition. Uh, Kavetsky, who was basically just doing sixties, but it wasn't like the, it was, it was a friendly thing going on. You know, we we were doing a whole variety of music. You know, from Motown to classic rock to pop to, you know, whatever. Where those bands were specializing in. Kavetsky, the 60s, 60s. 70s. Right. The trend, Motown, R&B, you know, Sly and the Family Stone. And they were all great bands. They were all great bands. And then a couple of years later, like five years behind us, was The Touch, which was a totally great band and still great today. But they, you know, they did the 80s new wave when it first came out. Okay, so exactly. So let's back up for a second. I'm going to say... No disrespect to the trend, no disrespect to Kavetsky, no disrespect to some of those bands. Um, you guys musically were a lot better. Let's just say it. I- I'm going to say it. I think you guys were much, much better. They filled the void, but you guys musically were much, much better. Now, you and the trend, hold on. Hold on. You and the trend might have been in a, in a different way. I don't know. I, I'm not talking about rock and roll party band. The trend were okay. I yeah. mean, Spectrum was okay. The mm-hmm. 60s were okay. Kavetsky was okay. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I got to give I, that I know, to you. I know what you're saying. Probably because Full House had the elements of what a rat race choir had. You know, we could, you know, like I said, I subconsciously took from them. You know what I mean? I I was, an impression was made back then in in the mid seventies before Full House that, you know, stayed with me, you know, as far as like, um, you know, just that ethic of doing a song and, and making it sound, you know, like the record, but with the power of a live performance and the spontaneity of a live performance. Correct, and that worked, and that and that one hundred percent worked. Yeah, and that's a- probably the, the difference that you saw and heard. You know, what I mean, it doesn't make us better. It's just that's what we did, and because we were doing a lot of different genres, probably made us as good as we could be as musicians. Right? Did you guys ever have? There was there any time. That there was anybody, you don't have to, you don't have to even say who it was. Doesn't matter. <laughs> was there any time that you thought that you guys were gonna get? You know, you guys are on top. You guys were really on top. I, I know you were. Uh, was there any band that you thought might catch you? But at the same time, was there any band that thought they were, and they really, really went out there and tried, and all in good, all in good fun, but clean fun. Good clean fun. Yeah. Good clean fun. Exactly. Thanks so much for listening. Big shout-outs to the crew behind the scenes. John Hart, Ian Lidovich, Russ McMahon, and of course my wife Jill. Don't forget to smash that like button, comment and subscribe, and follow at Grind and Pivot. You already know. We appreciate you. Later, son.